All right, Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse number 13, and we will read down through um, the end of the chapter, beginning in verse number 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, or for the flesh lusts against the flesh, and the spirit against uh, uh, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with some subject matters that not only were very confusing for the churches in Galatia, but they're confusing for many today as well. So, Paul was upholding justification by faith alone through Christ alone, But Paul was not advocating a total disregard, abandonment, and the making void of the law. He spends chapter 5 and chapter 6 now showing how Christians are to fulfill the law in their service to God. But he spends the first part of this letter, especially through the first four chapters, showing that we are not justified by the works of the law. And we can't be because the law was never intended, uh, the law was not given with the intention to justify anyone. By the law is the knowledge of sin. It sets forth that which is right and that which is wrong. And it is a, a verbalized uh, and a, 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 a practical aspect for us so that we can understand the holiness of God. And also what is expected uh, in holiness. Now, we've been talking about all of these things, and now we're talking about how to fulfill the law as Christians. And there's only one way, and that is to walk in the Spirit. Because man cannot fulfill the law, has not fulfilled the law, and that is the reason why we had to be justified by Christ, and Christ had to come and live a sinless life so he could impute his righteousness to us, and then also uh, to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. 
So he had to provide our righteousness, and then he had to receive our punishment. And so man cannot fulfill the law. And there's only one way that man can fulfill the law in any aspect, and that is to walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. Now, it's going to be really hard for me not to get sidetracked at this point, and it's not just for this week, but in the next couple weeks to come, not to get sidetracked from our text as Paul makes a specified statement, a specific statement about walking in the flesh and being, or walking in the spirit and being led by the spirit. But he does not go into the details, at least in the way that we would like, you know, with this little formulaized uh, concept of how to be led by the spirit. Now, obviously, there are some things to glean in what he says in understanding how to be led by the Spirit. And he writes elsewhere on the subject, and we can gather this information throughout all of Scripture, but here in this letter, he actually doesn't go into that. He makes some specific statements that is important for the controversy that was taking place there in the churches of Galatia. And so it's going to be hard not to really go into the details, but stay with the text. And after thinking about it, and long and hard, and and considering what I should do, I decided to stay focused upon the text here in Galatians. And this does not mean that we're not going to be dealing with that question, because that ought to be a question that comes up uh, from us and by Christians who hear Paul's statement to walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit and to understand how that is to take place. And I'll give you a little hint. It's through the means of grace, which is primarily the hearing of the Word and the sacraments, but it also includes the discipline of the church. It includes the whole counsel of God and so forth. Um, But um, Which, by the way, includes even the subject we covered this morning in Sunday School, which is fasting, which is a discipline and a means that God has given to us so that we might be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so that's our big problem today, is that we are walking in the flesh and we are being led by the flesh when we are supposed to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And that is the only way that the law can be fulfilled in us. In other words, that's the only way that we as Christians can live lives that are pleasing to God. The only thing that pleases God is when we are walking in the Spirit and when we are being led by the Spirit. And so, that's what we're going to stay focused upon. But we will be dealing with some details on how to be led by the Spirit And we have been, and we are, and we will be, even in Sunday school, and Wednesday evening, and in printed materials, podcasts, or whatever we can utilize for that purpose. But we have been focused upon the life of a Christian who has been justified by faith alone through Christ alone. And Paul is calling the Galatians back to true liberty. And this is something where we have to adjust our thinking today. And understanding what liberty is. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. That liberty is not the permission to do whatever you want. That's not what liberty is. Liberty is the 
right to do as you ought. And so Paul is really trying to set forth a proper Christian viewpoint in relation, first of all, to justification, secondly, in relation to the law, and also in how uh, Christians have been liberated. We were born in bondage to sin. In Christ, we are liberated. And that does not mean liberated to continue to be in bondage to sin. That doesn't even make sense, does it? What were you saved from? Sin. <laughs> Salvation. The word saved it means deliverance. And so, today, we have this false concept of liberty being that I can be as bad as I want to be. Remember that book by Dennis Rodman? Wasn't that the title of his book, As Bad as I Want to Be, or something like that? But anyway, uh, we think that's what liberty is. Live free and die. Drunken revelries and orgies and, well, no, that's... That's not what liberty is. That's what licentiousness is. There's a difference between licentiousness and liberty. And so, Paul is calling the Galatians back to true liberty, which is found only in Christ. Now, there are many false liberties being proclaimed, have been all throughout history, and are being today. There's the liberty espoused by some that makes the law void. You know, there is no law. Um, and people do it in a multitude of different ways. They even make it sound spiritual. No creed but the Bible. They do all kinds of things to make void the law. Uh, then there are others who, turn, who, who try to present liberty as salvific. Basically, what I'm telling you, there's the legalist and the libertarians, right? And the libertines or however you want to describe it. There, so, so you have those who believe that liberty destroys authority, makes authority void, makes the law void. And then there are others that try to present liberty, basically that produces tyranny. So in the beginning of the chapter, as Paul is calling them back to Christ, he says this in verse number one, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Made us free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, there's a couple different things going on here. And so it can provide a little bit of confusion as we have proceeded our way through because we have hit uh, and especially here in the book of Galatians, we are actually going after the legalists who are trying to bring them in bondage to the law. Which basically ends up in the same place as those who are trying to make void the law. It always ends up in tyranny, the tyranny of the flesh, the tyranny of sin, and the tyranny of death. And so Paul is encouraging them to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made them free. And so when you identify that word free, it really reveals our inclinations and our errors. So stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. It is very important to understand 
what he has made us free from. And when Paul here is talking about this freedom from this bondage of the law that was being imposed upon them by the Judaizers, it's, it's very important to understand what he means by that. Does Paul mean that you are free from the fifth commandment? Does he mean you're free from the sixth commandment, the first commandment? Which of the commandments then are made void? Which are you being made free from? Is that what Paul is saying? Don't be entangled again by doing right? Is that what he means? Well, I hope we would say, well, no, that sounds absurd, because it is. But that's the general gist of what is espoused throughout a lot of Christianity today. So we've been considering the discipline of the Spirit in verse 16, which says, walk in the Spirit, and then the overcoming of the flesh in verse 17 in this battle of the flesh and the Spirit. Now we're ready to consider verse 18, where Paul says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And modern-day Christians go, Woohoo! It's party time! Oh, right! I can be as bad as I want to be. Is that what Paul's saying? No. What Paul is saying here, if you're led by the Spirit, you are under the dominion of the Spirit and not under the dominion of the law. But if you're under the dominion of the law, you're not being led by the Spirit. Because if you're under the dominion of the law, you are under the dominion of sin and death. But first of all, notice Paul says, if you are led by the Spirit. He's already told us that we have to walk in the Spirit. But now he's telling us we also have to be led by the Spirit. And those two things go hand in hand. You cannot walk in the Spirit if the Spirit is not the one dictating, leading, and guiding. Christians today want to walk in any direction they want to walk, and they tell everybody it's in the Spirit. I'm just, I'm just following the leading of the Holy Spirit, but that's not walking in the Spirit if it is not truly a leading of the Spirit. That which the Spirit guides, directs, commands, dictates. And then you're left with an option. Does the Holy Spirit lead contrary to his word? No. So then we also have to understand that if we're being led by the Spirit, then we are being led after the things of God. Not contrary to the things of God. But we are being led by the Spirit according to that which is divine. But you have to be led by the Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 6, It is the Spirit that quickens or makes alive. The flesh doesn't profit anything. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Paul even says that the law is spiritual. Why? Because these are the words that were spoken by God. 
So when we talk about that which is spiritual, we're talking about that which is of God and from God. So if you're being led by the Spirit, you're being led by the things that are from God. In other words, when you're being led by the Spirit, and when you are following the words of the Spirit, these words are now life to you and not death to you. The law, then, is no longer a curse, but a blessing. It is not burdensome, but a delight. Isn't that what the Apostle John says? That his commandments are not grievous, they're not burdensome? Not to the Christian. To the Christian who is being led by the Spirit of God, the Spirit is going to agree with his own words. And so it's not burdensome. Now, our flesh is weak, and our flesh is unwilling, but it is not burdensome in relation to the leading of the Spirit. It's not a curse, it's now a blessing. It's not burdensome, but a light, but delight. It is not a weight but a benefit. You know, outside of Christ, when you look at the law of God, it's like, oh my goodness. There's no benefit in that because I'm not getting to satisfy my desires. It's a weight. It's a burden. It's a curse. But you see, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the curse. You're not under the guilt of the law. You're not under the condemnation of the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you're free from these things. Paul says to the church at Corinth, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Liberty from what? Liberty from sin. Liberty from the guilt of sin. Liberty from the condemnation of sin. Liberty from the curse of sin. Liberty from the dominion of sin. There's liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is. Being first thing I want us to notice is that being led by the Spirit means you must, first of all, possess the Spirit, right? That should go without saying. This is what Paul is asking back in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians in verse number 2. You know, this is the way Paul addresses this with the Galatians. He says, I want to ask one thing of you. This is what I want to learn. Tell me, please instruct me here. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? But notice, they, you ha- they received the Spirit. Before you can walk in the Spirit, before you can be led by the Spirit, you first have to possess the Spirit. And Paul describes this as receiving the Spirit. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, after Peter preached his sermon there on the day of Pentecost, And the crowd responded upon the guilt of their sin 
in crucifying the Holy One of glory, they said, what shall we do? And Peter responds to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive, uh, you know, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, you have to possess the Spirit. You have to have been given the Spirit. The Spirit is being supplied unto us. You say, well, how do I receive the Spirit? Well, it is the gift of God. This is the reason why we keep hammering the example of the Pharisee who was espousing all of his greatness there in the temple as he prayed, thankful that he's not like other men who are a bunch of sinners, and especially like that dirty, rotten publican sinner that was over there in the corner, shamefully being reclusive, not standing there in the open, prideful like the Pharisee. And then, of course, there's that publican standing off to the side, can't even raise his eyes towards heaven, but he's praying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so Jesus asked, which one of those men went home justified? And, of course, the answer is the publican, right? Because he humbled himself and he received God's gift. Whereas the Pharisee didn't receive anything because he didn't humble himself. So being led by the Spirit means you must possess the Spirit. And so in the beginning of chapter 3, that's basically what uh, uh, Paul is asking in relation to this question. How did they receive the Spirit. And however you receive the Spirit explains what you believe about salvation. Is it a gift that you receive? Well, the emphasis here that I want to point out is that it must be received. You cannot be led by the Spirit if you have not received the Spirit. If you have not been born of the Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, there's another statement that Paul makes. When he's talking about the blessing of Abraham coming upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, he says that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice there he is very specific that we receive the Spirit that has been promised. Jesus promised that he would send forth his Spirit to those who turn unto him in faith. And so Paul says that we have received the Spirit that had been promised. How? Through faith. It is by faith. Faith is by faith that we are saved. And that's how we receive the Spirit. Through God's grace, as he bestows his grace and mercy unto us, he sends forth his Spirit into our hearts. And so, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you must first possess the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6, remember, Paul said back then, 
Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You must be born again. If you're going to be led by the Spirit, you have to be in possession of the Spirit. And the only way that man can possess the Spirit is if he has been born again, regenerated by God through grace. You must possess the Spirit. Those who possess the Spirit are sons of God, and therefore they can cry out, Abba, Father, because they are in Possession of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, Paul also said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the ones who have been born again. And then secondly, to be led by the Spirit, you must have a desire for righteousness. Remember a little earlier in the chapter, Paul says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you first have to be in possession of the Spirit. You have to have been given the promise of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. In other words, when you were justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But notice... To be led by the Spirit, you have to have a desire for righteousness. We weren't just saved so that we could beautify heaven. We were saved, which means delivered. We were supposed to, you know, in salvation, supposedly, according to Christian thought, is that we were in bondage to darkness. We were in bondage to Satan. We were not only slaves, but we were also willing servants of Satan. But Jesus came and freed us. He rescued us. He delivered us from the kingdom of Satan. And he transferred us into the kingdom of light. And we became new creatures, right? Old things were passed away. Now all things have become new. One of the new things is that we have a desire for righteousness. A real, true desire for righteousness, which I'll tell you that the natural man does not have. His desire is to fulfill as much of his flesh that he can get by with. Some are just more willing to take chances than others. But his whole purpose is to fulfill the desires of his own evil heart. Well, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, there first of all has to be a desire for righteousness because those who are born of the Spirit, surely they're going to desire the things of the Spirit. And so Paul says that we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. In other words, there is a desire, a new desire. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8, when we get into the next chapter, we will see this. Paul says, for he who sows to his flesh will uh, of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You can tell what a person desires by what they sow. 
If you want tomatoes, you're going to sow seeds that will produce tomatoes. Why? Because you want tomatoes. You want to grow corn. You're going to sow seeds that will spring forth and grow corn. Why? Because you want to grow corn. You will reap what you sow. In other words, there's this new desire for those who are led by the Spirit. They have a desire for righteousness, and therefore they are going to sow things that will produce those things. We have this idea today, you know, and a lot of it came from the whole fundamentalist mindset over uh, many decades that there was just, just you know, this, that, that God didn't use means. And that it was just some exterior, unseen, unknown, magical, mythological, uh, invisible force that accomplished these things. Which, by the way, is the reason why we have abandoned Christianity and we have completely tore down Christendom and all the things that were built and constructed. We have completely abandoned them, tore it all down, and then promised this snake oil and it didn't produce anything good. Why? Because there's no sowing. If you don't read your Bible, if you don't pray, if you don't attend church, if you don't grow in grace and knowledge, if you don't have fellowship with the saints, if you don't abide in the apostles' doctrine, if you don't abide in the breaking of bread, if you're not participating in word and sacrament, I mean, what do we expect we're going to get? If we don't sow the things of the Spirit, how do we expect to reap the things of the Spirit? Well, what, what you have naturally is just going to spring back up. All the briars and all the thorns of your flesh. Because you're not cutting them things down you're not removing them things and then sowing the things of the spirit so what do we expect is going to come up and so we have removed all the means of grace we have removed all the disciplines of christianity we have removed all the things of institutional of the institutional church and we have all of these thickets and briars and brambles and thorns and thistles that have grown up in its place. Well, the reason why we got rid of all the old things is because, it's very simple, it's because we didn't have a desire for righteousness. That's the reason why we are reaping these things today. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if you live after the flesh, you'll die. In other words, you're going to reap death, destruction. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, if you kill off the natural man, 
and his deeds and his desires, you shall live. This is why Jesus says, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life. Paul in Romans chapter 6 says that we were made free from sin. To understand Paul, what Paul means about the law here in chapter 5, specifically in his statement where he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You need to read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 to understand it. Because Paul in Romans chapter 6 says that we are made free from sin, the law of sin, and we have now become the servants of God, and we have our fruit unto holiness and the end, which is everlasting life. In other words, sin brought what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Is that still true today? Yes. The wages of sin is death. Sin brings destruction and death. And so Paul says that we were in bondage to sin. We were slaves to sin. We were born dead in trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ has made us free from sin. He has freed us from the dominion of sin. And now he has brought us into this new life to be servants of God. So that way, the fruit of our lives now is unto holiness, which brings everlasting life. So, Paul goes on to say in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take off the old man, the old Adam, take that garment off. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't make provisions for the flesh, the old man, the Adamic man. Don't make provisions for him. Don't feed him. Don't nurture him. Don't take care of him. Mortify him. Because you're now a new man in Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the old man to fill the lust of the old man. Because the wages of sin is death. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, because of the promises that we have in Jesus Christ, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then notice, being led by the spirit is walking in the spirit, as has been said earlier. Walk in the Spirit in verse 16. Then verse 25, Paul says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit. And then, last, being led by the Spirit produces good works through divine attributes. So what does he say in verse number 19? That the works of the flesh are what? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and he goes through this whole list that will keep us out of the kingdom of God. All these things which are contrary to the law and in rebellion and disobedience to the law. He says those are the works of the flesh. And if you are under the law, that's what fruit will come from you. But 
If you're being led by the Spirit, it produces good works through divine attributes. Because he says that we put off all those things, and now the fruit of our lives through the Spirit is in the demonstration of the attributes of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, to be led by the Spirit is to be free from the dominion of sin. To be led by the Spirit is to be freed from opposition to the law. To be led by the Spirit is to be free from the law as a law of sin and death. And to be led by the Spirit is to be freed from bondage and liberated to sonship. Father, we thank you for the liberty that we have in Christ. A liberty that is not a licentious liberty, but a holy liberty. Not a liberty to do what we want, but a liberty to do what you want. As we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would bring us into conformity to your will, that you would lead us and guide us according to your grace. And where we have stumbled and fell, we pray that you forgive us and that you would raise us back up to walk in newness of life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.